You know, there's, there's a lot of hungry people. I've been getting contacted from just people that you guys don't know. They're from different parts of our nation, and they're also from different parts of the world that follow our ministry through maybe podcast or whatever. But there are people out there that are hungry for more than what's around them. And they're hungry for the word of the Lord. And sadly, there's a prophecy in Amos that, that God would allow a famine of the word of God. And that's not a famine of Bibles being printed. That's a famine of the preaching of the word of God. And um, how many knows that it feels like there's been a bit of a famine over the last 10 years or so? All right. <clears throat> just agree with me tonight. Father, we lift up the word of the Lord. And we just want to take a moment to thank you so much, Lord, for your word. As we come before you, we come to you in Jesus' name and through the blood as a church. But we thank you so much that you've given us your word. We love your word. We love the truth. And Lord, we thank you for this, this word tonight that you're going to speak to us. But we ask you tonight that you would anoint me and speak through me your words of life. And this will go out as living seeds of truth sown out into good soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit... You will help everyone that's going to be hearing this to really get captivated, to give you their best ear, their full attention, their focus. They're not going to be distracted. They're not going to be hindered. But the Holy Spirit will help lock us in to what God's saying. And the Holy Spirit to help give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds. That it's not going to be like a hardened heart. But the Spirit of God prepares the soil. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me everything that needs to be said that it will go out and the winds of the Spirit of God are going to carry this among the nations everywhere it needs to go. And it's going to land where it needs to land. And Lord, I ask you that this, this word tonight, there's going to be a washing of the water of the word of God. Lord, that it'll be like a hammer that's going to break down the traditions of men. It's going to break down strongholds of deception and religion, things they have tried to hinder. Father, let the hammer of your word break it down and let the sword of the Lord go and begin to penetrate where it needs to get and lord we pray that as people hear this as i said before there'll be a washing of the water of the word of god as we're purified by the word but lord i pray that this will be powerful and effective it'll be a bright shining light of truth that will dispel all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy and bring revelation and truth to your people and lord we thank you for it and um, we pray tonight that anything that would try to hinder this, because Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we take authority over anything of the devil that would try to hinder this from getting where it's supposed to go and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. And we agree together as a church in the name of Jesus, we bind the devil now, any satanic spirit that would try to hinder this word in any way. We bind you now in Jesus' name. We command you to back off. We break your power. You will back off away from it. And Lord, we thank you. We stand on the promise of your word that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. And so, Lord, let it go forth and accomplish. And Lord, I ask you to speak through me everything that needs to be said. And Lord, it will be thorough. It will be powerful under an anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it will be effective. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We bless you. And um, Lord, I pray even those that are hearing this through a recording, there may be listening this later, Lord, I pray that the anointing of the Lord will invade where they are. And this will really touch people tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, this is now, we're entering the Feast of Tabernacles. In Hebrew, it's Sukkot. And here at the church, we built, over to my left, we built a sukkah. And that's just singular. And Sukkot, the oat, is plural. And so we built a little tabernacle here. But anyway, I'm going to go into some things tonight. So this, this week and the next week, I'll do another on tabernacles. And so I'm not going to cover everything in here in this just one sermon. I'm going to split up into two. But one of the things I want to emphasize, and I'll get to this later in the sermon, is staying on fire. Having a burning heart. That's so important. And... I'm going to deal with that a lot tonight because that's the, one of the main things the devil wants to do in people's lives is to get them to lose that fire. And pretty soon they get lukewarm. The devil wants to come in and drop like a wet blanket over the fire of God in people's lives. They get out of prayer. You can tell that their church attendance isn't what it used to be. 
even when they're here, they're not really, you know, hungry and really pressing in like they used to. It shows up in their giving. It shows up in the things that they used to do. They used to witness and go out and do things. And it's, it's really sad to see. But my wife and I, mean, we've seen this happen to people. You know, the devil comes in and steals the fire. And pretty soon they seem to drift further and further. And they're there, but they're not really there. You know, they're just a shell of what they used to be. All right. But how many of you guys know we're going deeper in the glory of God and river of life? Amen. And God has been definitely doing that even tonight. It doesn't take much discernment. You can sense that the glory of the Lord is increasing. And without getting too much into this, this is another sermon for another day. But the words that are used to describe the feast of the Lord, one of them is a moed, M-O-E-D, moed. And the moed is the best translation for that word is like a divine appointment. So how many of you guys know that you may set up an appointment with somebody that you're supposed to meet, meet them at maybe Starbucks or whatever and, and have a cup of coffee. You're supposed to be there at 9 o'clock. They're supposed to be there. It's an appointment. This is God's calendar. He said that I will meet with you. And so God, this is a time, certainly in the New Testament, we do not have to keep any feast or anything at all. You don't have to. But I believe that people miss out on a blessing because God promised that he would meet with us in a special way during these times. Now, I'm just going to tell you from experience in this church that these times the glory of the Lord has increased. Even tonight, you can just feel the glory. We had a special prayer meeting Tuesday night, Yom Kippur. I mean, those that were here will tell you it was very hallowed. It's, it's just there's an open heaven, and God seems to really meet with us in a special way during these times. All of us have times that are special to us. So in America, we have like Memorial Day. We have the 4th of July. We have Thanksgiving and things like that. Here in America, we have certain dates that are important to us as Americans, okay, as individuals. You have in your family, you have birthdays, you have anniversaries, you have dates that are important to you. These are dates that are important to God. All right. So let me just go ahead and move on into what God's given me for tonight. But number one, as we're going deeper into the glory, tabernacles, Sukkot, has to do with the glory of God coming into our midst. has to do with the tabernacling of God's presence. And so one thing that really stuck out to me is the protection. The glory of God coming in is a protection from the elements spiritually that are out there against us. Dark forces of the enemy, the, the oppression of satanic forces, the... Even the oppression of just the worldliness that's out there and things like that. The glory of God is, is supposed to be in our midst. And let me say this too, just as the Holy Spirit has prompted me about this. If people would understand the, the Old Testament in relation to the New properly and begin to properly interpret things, a lot of these petty doctrinal differences would disappear. And let me give an example of what I mean. You remember me talking about the priestly garments. You had the white layers that are righteous, and then you had the blue layer, the tunic, that has to do with the power of God, the bells and pomegranates, the gifts and fruits, but it's the power. It's the clothing of power. And then you had a third layer, and that's the golden ephod. It has to do with the glory. But see, there's teachings out there that say, well, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's not true. But see, the pattern, if people understood the pattern that God gave, they would see when you accept Christ as your Savior, it's those white garments. You're made righteous. But the baptism in the Holy Ghost is a totally different thing. It is a clothing of that blue garment, blue coming down from on high. It's a clothing of the Spirit of God in power. There's a difference. And I've known people too, and this makes so much sense to me now, but I've known people also that are Pentecostal, that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they can speak in tongues and they can operate in some gifts, and they have a little bit of power there, but they have no idea about the glory of God. And they have never really been in a real revival where the glory of God is, 
In fact, some of them don't like revival, and they feel like it's not God. But that's the glory that they're missing out on. See, they may have the white and the blue, but they don't have the gold in their life. You see what I'm saying? When you understand the pattern, and then you see how it was fulfilled in Christ, it does away with a lot of these stupid, petty doctrines that really don't amount to anything. Because everything in the New Testament is, has a pattern in the old that is fulfilled in Christ. It's very important that we understand that. All right, so in regards to Sukkot here at Tabernacles, let me give you this scripture, Psalms 27, verse 5. King David, growing up as a Jewish boy every year in the fall, his family would have set up a sukkah. And so every year he would have went out in his yard or whatever and there would have been a family sukkah where they would all be living there together in the sukkah for seven days and they would be um, eating, you know, talking about what all of it means and all of that, but they would have had that. And so David now as a grown man, as a psalmist, when he's talking about the Lord and he's talking about God's presence, look at what he says. Is how many knows that things come up in your mind? You grew up in church, you've seen things and... So David says this, he said, for the Lord, he will hide me, cover me in his sukkah. In the Hebrew, it says sukkah. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in the secret place of his tent. On the rock, he raised me up. Well, David understood that the sukkah was symbolic of God's presence tabernacling among us. And he understood that the tabernacling of God's presence would protect us. So let me read that again. He will hide me in his sukkah. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me in the secret place of his tent. All right. So a couple things. John chapter 1. How many of you guys have ever read where it says that the word of God was in the beginning and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. You guys ever read that? All right. The word there for dwelled in the Greek is tabernacled. Look it up. So here's what the Bible says about Jesus. The word in the beginning was the word. But it says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That seems to bring something to it, doesn't it? So Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the tabernacle that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus was probably born during tabernacles. I know traditionally we celebrate in the wintertime, Christmas and all that, but you can easily look this up for yourself because the Bible talks about when John the Baptist was conceived and then you can see Jesus was conceived so many months later and you can start doing the math. It's really not hard to figure out that Jesus was most likely conceived around Hanukkah, which would make so much sense if you know the story. And he was most likely born during tabernacles. And the reason why that they could not find a place to stay was because this was one of the three feasts where people had to come into Jerusalem. So at tabernacles... People had come in by the you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands into Jerusalem. And most likely Jesus was born during this time, this Feast of Tabernacles. And every room was filled because people were traveling in. And so they couldn't find anything. And let me say this too. It is possible that you know, we, we get this translation of what the Greek was trying to describe. And people describe it as a manger. And maybe it was. But it is possible... Because you have to understand, in Jerusalem, there would have been Sukkot everywhere. You understand that? There would have been little tabernacles everywhere. You would have walked just a block, and you would see three or four, and then walk another block, three. I mean, they were everywhere. It is possible that Jesus was even born in a Sukkah, but it was described as a manger. Just possible. So, um, let me just kind of side give you a side note from last week too when you look at the tabernacle remember i talked about last week if you had the tabernacle and you were to lay a human being down and the head was at the ark of the covenant 
The left hand was at the table of showbread. The right hand was at the menorah. Remember this? All right, this is the part I didn't really describe for the sake of time. But the heart is where the golden altar is. Now, this is really important because I want you to really get this. The priest had to go out and every evening, every morning, he would remember I told you all this, he would kill a lamb. There was a grain offering and a wine offering. But he would have to take a hot burning coal, a red hot ember, down in there. I think it's interesting that the sacrifice had been burned on that. The blood of that sacrifice had come down on that coal. But anyway, he would reach down in there with some tongs and he would have to get one of those embers and put it into a plate of some kind and take it in with him to the holy place. And he had to take that and put that. Now you have the golden altar, which is about waist high, has a horn on each corner, and has a golden bowl. And he'd have to put that hot ember in that bowl. Then he could take the incense and sprinkle it on that hot ember and it would burn the incense. But how many knows that if that ember got cooled off and quit being hot, the incense wouldn't burn? So let me put it this way. We've got to keep our hearts burning. Because just like the tabernacle, you have the left hand, the right hand, but the, the golden altar is where the heart is. It is out of a burning heart that true praise and worship and prayer and intercession will come. It comes out of a burning heart. When a heart gets lukewarm, the incense goes away. People stop praying. They stop really worshiping. As a matter of fact, it just gets to be dead and dry overall, doesn't it? But you have to keep that heart burning. I'll come back to that here in a little bit. So the golden altar had that hot coal. And what was it that brought you into the Holy of Holies? Remember last week I talked about the, the holy place. Remember... That it was the blood of the lamb and it was the incense. Those two things that brought the priest into the holy of holies. So the, on the day of atonement, once a year, he only wore the white. So some of the things you've probably heard preached, it's not really true about the rope around the ankles and all that going into the holy of holies because he, he wore just white. But that's a whole other thing. Anyway, so he's wearing pure white. And he would have to take that censer with incense and place it into the Holy of Holies. So the incense had to come bring him in. And then he took a bowl of blood from the sacrifice. And remember, he would sprinkle it. And that's how he was able to approach God was through the incense and the blood. You cannot have the incense and you cannot have really the blood without having that burning heart, really. Because out in the outer court, that's where the heart began to burn. Does that make sense? People get away from, it's getting a bit complicated. Let's keep it real simple. People, their heart stops burning, so they stop praying and they stop worshiping. So no longer are they really applying the blood like they should. No longer is the incense going up like it should. That's what I mean by that. So it, it really, the burning heart is the key. And out of a burning heart, people are going to spend time with the Lord and they're going to begin to apply the blood. They're going to begin to approach through the blood and they're also going to begin to worship and pray. And so the blood and the incense will bring them into a personal realm of God's glory for their life. But the root is a burning heart. That's what the devil's after. People can lose the fire for a lot of different reasons. But if you read the scriptures... When Moses set up the tabernacle and they, they built the bronze altar and all that, God himself lit that initial fire. But it was the responsibility of the priest every day to empty the ashes out and to put fresh logs in there to keep the fire going. And God told him, don't let that fire go out. It's your responsibility. I initially lit it, but you have to keep it going. Also, tabernacles, and I'm going to come back to that later in the sermon. Tabernacles also speaks of, remember, end-time prophecy. You have 
the rapture, then you have the, the um, seven-year tribulation, Yom Kippur, and then you have tabernacles. When Jesus physically comes to the earth, the tabernacle for a thousand years. And if you read the scriptures, I, I don't think that I have it in this sermon. It'll probably be next week. But in Zechariah, I believe it's chapter 12 or 14, but it's very clear that it talks about that the nations will be celebrating tabernacles in Jerusalem. And so there's coming a day, remember this, where you and I will physically, with our glorified bodies, we're going to physically be in Jerusalem at tabernacles. Jesus is going to physically be on the earth. And we're going to be waving that lulah. We're going to have, there's going to be a bunch of Sukkot everywhere. And we're going to be praising and worshiping the king. And we're going to be celebrating tabernacles with Jesus physically on the earth. And I don't believe it's just tabernacles. I believe all the feasts will be going on. All right. And so at the end of that, at the end of the thousand years, Revelation 20 verse 8. Here's an interesting study for you guys, but the Bible says that Satan and his forces will be loosed at the end of a thousand years to go among the nations, and there's going to be people as numerous as the sand on the seashore that are going to follow the devil. And they're going to descend on Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to have to allow fire to come down from heaven and fry them. But the Bible calls the, the spiritual forces there Gog again. So Gog and Magog, but Gog is referenced through the Bible. It's pretty interesting. You can Google that and look it up. But it's interesting to see that spirit referenced again in the book of Revelation in that context. All right. So tabernacles has to do with God's glory. Now, this was what was going on when Jesus took Peter, James, and John. You remember the story that he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. How many of you guys remember that story? Jesus goes up with them, and before their eyes, he is transfigured to where his garments were glowing like a, a really bright white light, the glory of God. Now, this, this probably was around the Feast of Sukkot because of what Peter said, but nonetheless, I find it interesting that Peter would say this. Moses appears and Elijah appears, and Peter gets very nervous because he's there. I would be too. You would be too. But Peter gets nervous. And this is what he says. He says, let me build you a sukkah. I'll build one for you, Jesus. I'll build one for you, Moses. And I'll build one for you, Elijah. And of course, they just kind of ignored him because he was just nervous and was just talking. But, but isn't it interesting that Peter said, I'll build a sukkah in that context. I think that it's co commonly understood that the tabernacle has to do with God's glory. Isn't it something that when you look at the tabernacle of Moses, that basically was God's sukkah in Israel. God built a place where he could dwell. He could tabernacle his glory. That was basically his sukkah. And... It's interesting to me how tabernacles has to do with God's glory coming and tabernacling in our midst and how this was understood by David, it was understood by Peter. And it's something I believe God wants us to understand today that he's wanting us to tap into the realm of his glory coming in much greater measure than we've ever known. And I know from experience that I've heard people say you can be as close to God as you want to be. You know, and that's actually true. People that are really desperate, the Bible says if you seek the Lord with all your heart, you'll find it. The Bible says if you'll draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. But it's going to be people really going after God. And that's why I love so much about Steve Hill and his ministry. He was such a blessing to me. But he, he was always like that. He always, you would hear him say all the time, go after God with all your heart. Don't let any person hold you back. Don't let anything hold you back. You make up your mind. You go after God. There's more than what you have, and there's more than what you know. Keep running after God. That was Steve right there. That basically summed up his heart and his ministry. He has such a powerful move of God for souls, but that was his message. Even to the souls was go after God. 
get from where you are and run toward Jesus. Now, let me take another real quick rabbit trail here. Um, so the three fall feasts together, you guys are familiar with the spring feast and how they were fulfilled. Christ died on Passover, was buried during unleavened bread, raised on first fruits, poured out his spirit on Pentecost. All those have been fulfilled, past tense. So the three that are to come, what do you have? Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles. It's interesting to me, though, I understand the end time prophecy. But here's something else that I see about these three feasts I believe is important. Because it seems like the tendency in the Bible in the last day church is to become lukewarm. The church of Laodicea was the last day church, a lukewarm church. But how many knows that when it says that it makes Jesus nauseous and makes him want to vomit you out of his mouth, that that's not something that you want to become? Okay, but the tendency is there. So we see the tendency is for people also to go to sleep spiritually. Now, I've already kind of talked about that. But here's the three feasts. So the Feast of Trumpets, Teruah, as that shofar blast. It's meant to awaken people. To stir people back up. So there's like an awakening from a slumber. That's the first revelation. And then Yom Kippur is a time to really repent and get things right with God. So the first thing is, is to wake up from your sleep. The next thing is, is now you realize I've backslid, I'm lukewarm, I'm not where I need to be, and you repent. Then Sukkot, the glory comes, revival comes. So I believe every fall feast, this is what God is really wanting to do in all of us, is he's wanting to awaken us. Where, where am I at spiritually? Am I closer to the Lord right now than I've ever been, or have I backslid? There's like an awakening then we realize and we begin to really repent and get things right with God. And then God begins to send a, a revival back in our midst again. And as I talked about last week, the last trump on Yom Teru, on, on Rosh Hashanah, the last trump that sounds, the Tekiah Haggadol, is there's all these shofarim, they're blasting loud and long and strong. That's called the last trump. And that's what Paul was referencing in dealing with the coming of the Lord. So there's going to be something, though we don't know the exact day nor the exact hour, but there is going to be something about the Feast of Trumpets that has to do with the catching away of the remnant bride. There's going to be something about Yom Kippur that has to do with Israel entering into that seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel, the, um, the days of Jacob's trouble. There's going to be something about Yom Kippur in that. And then there's going to be something about Sukkot, the tabernacles, when Jesus comes physically. So there's something about that that we'll, we will see down the road and it will all make sense. Christ will fulfill all of this in his second coming. All right, so there's two things that you're going to see during tabernacles. One is you're going to see a lot of these booths that are set up um, at people's homes and also in churches. But also you're going to see the lulav. And let me show you this. So the lulav is the four species. You're going to see a lot of these. <clears throat> Let me just read to you Leviticus 23:40. It says, Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of the beautiful trees. That's the etrog. Mine's not quite ripe. These are normally yellow, all right? And then it says the palm branches. That's the lulav. That's this right here. And those of you that have studied the word, you're already realizing that taking the palm branch, you start thinking about Palm Sunday, you start thinking about the whole issue of Christ coming in. I'm going to explain that in a moment. And then the boughs of the leafy trees. That's the hadas or the myrtle, and that's this one. And then you have the willows, the arva, and that's this right here, the willow tree. So it's interesting that, to me, looking at this, just knowing the scriptures, that willow a lot of times speaks of the suffering that people go through. But the palm speaks a lot of praise. And so it's like, rejoicing even though we go through difficult times you know but anyway so these um four species 
That's in essence when Jesus came riding in on the donkey. That is what people were doing. They were running and they were gathering palm branches. They were gathering the lulav. And they were beginning to really praise and worship and rejoice before the Lord as he's coming in on that donkey. And so you have to understand that to understand the Hebrew culture. And so even to this day in Israel, you see a lot of people just waving this before God and dancing and praising and singing. And one of these days, you're going to be doing this in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to be, I'm just telling you, there's coming a day. Some people don't like it because it's, you know, not something they're not used to. That's fine. But there's coming a day if you're a Christian that you're going to be dancing before the Lord with a lulav and there's going to be Sukkot all around you. You're going to be in Jerusalem and you're going to be praising the king who is tabernacled among us. And so I love having this during this time because I see, I'll set it out there. I see people just during the worship time begin to worship the Lord. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Just like when he was riding on the donkey, they were waving the palm branches. We're saying, Lord, come quickly. Even so, come quickly. The spirit and the bride say, come, Lord. And then it goes on to say you'll live in booths for seven days. All of the native born in Israel shall live in booths. So that your generations may know that I had sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. And so another revelation about tabernacles that I really love is this. That we're just simply passing through this life. So when God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees, he said, go and I will show you a land. And Abraham and his family lived in tents. And God was among them, but that was the lifestyle. It was a nomadic lifestyle living in tents. But Abraham, I love this scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says about Abraham that he was just simply passing through. He was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. Abraham is somehow, God gave that man revelation knowledge where he saw Jesus' day, but he even saw beyond that that there would one day be a new heaven and a new earth, and he saw that, that Jerusalem, that new Jerusalem coming down. Somehow he saw it by revelation, but he was looking. Even though he was walking with his family on the earth, he realized, I'm just passing through this life. I'm looking for an ultimate destination, a city that I will dwell in one day where the maker and builder of that city is God himself. And to me, whenever we enter into the time of tabernacles, I think about this. And how many Christians need to hear this message? We're just passing through. Quit letting your feet get so sunk down so deep into the soil of this world and getting so caught up with this world and this present world system and all the things of this world. You're getting entangled by it. Bob, the Bible says that the cares of this world will choke out the fruitfulness. And that's exactly what you see. You see people that are getting so caught up with making money, so caught up with the things of this world. They used to be fruitful, man. They used to be on fire. You talk about how they used to be out witnessing. And they used, they used to be so active and do things. And they don't do it anymore. They can make all the excuses in the world they want. It won't fly on Judgment Day. It just won't. But they've simply grown cold. The cares of this world have wrapped around them and choked the fruitfulness out of their lives. And that's some, one of the messages we need to take away from tabernacles is that we begin to break off all of this worldliness and we begin to look up again and we begin to get our feet moving and realize that we're just passing through this life to not get so tangled up in the cares of this life and to live for eternity. That's one of the things I loved about Leonard Ravenhill. He always talked about living for eternity, living for judgment day. See, if every Christian lived with the mindset, Jesus could come tomorrow, I need to live like a tabernacle, like I'm just passing through this life, how would I live today if Jesus was coming tomorrow? If every Christian lived that way, everything would be different. But people get so caught up with the world, they stop looking up and they start looking at the world. They're so caught up with the busyness of life, pretty soon the fire burns out. And let me give you something else, another side note here. This is what God gave me to give you tonight, okay? Just some different little points here and there. But the next event on God's calendar, I know some people say, well, 
Maybe the, the rapture would happen in the middle of the tribulation or the rapture would happen at the end. I don't fuss with people. I really don't care it, as far as what they believe. It's not like that with me at all. But just make, this has to make sense. In the spring feast, the, Jesus had to die on the cross before he could be resurrected. He had to be resurrected before the Holy Spirit could be poured out. There had to be that order. In the same way, there has to be these fall feasts in order. There has to be a trumpets before there's a Yom Kippur. You see what I'm saying? It has to be in that order. And so it's not going to be like the tribulation, then you have after that trumpets. That's not how it's going to happen. It's going to happen in order. But one of the things I love about the Feast of Trumpets that we've already had and already talked a lot about, but I love the shofar. Let me just give you a couple quick things about the shofar. Numbers 10.9, when you go to war in the land against your adversary who's oppressing you, you are to sound the alarm with the shofar. You'll be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. And I've given you some things you can read here, but the word shofar implies in the Hebrew like a piercing through, like a cutting through. And the shofar has some kind of an ability in the spiritual to penetrate, to pierce. The shofar is an awesome weapon of war. Traditionally, the Jews believed that the very first shofar was Abraham whenever he was going to sacrifice Isaac and God gave him a ram in the thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed the ram and that he kept the two horns. Now, how many of you guys know that if, if that story happened to me, I would keep the horns too? You know you would. And so Abraham probably did keep the horns and they believed that he made one of them into a ram's horn like a shofar and that's where the original shofar came from might have been but we do know that when god descended on sinai and he come down in that that cloud and that fire on the top of that mountain and it was like a rumbling of his presence that there was a sound of a shofar that came out of god's presence it's connected to his presence and it's connected to his voice there's something about the shofar that is extremely powerful. And people that have an anointing and blast the shofar, man, you can feel it. I've, I've heard people blast the shofar. I remember uh, Dick Rubin blast that shofar at Brownsville. You could feel that go all the way down to your toes, man. I'm just telling you, you could feel it. And um, the shofar is powerful, but it also is obviously going to be sounded when Jesus comes to catch away his remnant bride. Now, let me give you a couple quick things because we blast the shofar some here in River of Life. Um, Bill Hammond said this. He said that when God's people, he had a vision, he saw that when God's people come together and begin to lift up a shout together, that it's like an explosion in the spirit realm. He saw a vision of like a bomb going off. And that's awesome because that's exactly what happened at Jericho. The people of God marched around the city, but they blasted the shofar. And there were probably multiple shofar. They blasted the shofar, and they lifted up this shout, and it was like a roar. And what happened? The enemy's walls came down. So whenever we come together, River of Life, and we lift up a shout like we do, and we blast that shofar, in the spirit realm, there's something like a bomb going off. It's like the walls of Jericho, the strongholds that the devil has had in the spirit realm, those strongholds begin to come down. There have been many people that as the shofar blasted have been healed of things. Something that was coming against their health broke. I've even had that happen. One time I blasted the shofar and my wife had had some kind of an issue with her back that got healed. I remember that. But the shofar breaks the power of the demonic realm. There have been people that have had deliverances happen, that the forces of the enemy flee at the shofar blast. And how many of you guys know that you can just tell whenever you're in a prayer meeting, the anointing is moving, and you begin to pray over certain issues, and people are in agreement, and you blast the shofar over that issue, you can just feel the power of hell being broken in that area. So the shofar pierces through the darkness and breaks things open. But here's some things that I wrote down that I've learned in my study about the shofar that the shofar seems to be a call to repentance. 
There's something about this ram's horn, not really the big Yemenite, but there's something about the smaller ram's horn that when it is blasted, it sounds like somebody crying. And, and, I, and many times I, feel, I felt led for years to, to blast this specific ram's horn because it sounds like the intercessors to me. But I felt this years ago, I felt to blast it when we start really moving into intercession. And you know what? Something shifts in the atmosphere. There's something about this that has to do with intercession, has to do with repentance. And there's also something about the harvest being yielded. I remember that Dick Rubin was talking about that at Brownsville, that they had a really powerful prayer meeting. And some people were talking about how the services that weekend were exceptionally powerful. And he said that that week he had brought the shofar and they had had time of really praying and he was blasting the shofar over the strongholds of the enemy to come down. And something happened, something broke in the spirit realm. And that's why they had such a major move of God that weekend. And so that's exactly what happens. Something happens that will, that will awaken people. It seems to move in the way of repentance and intercession. It also has to do with warfare, breaking through in warfare. Here's some things I believe that are connected to the shofar. Revelation can come. It increases people's faith. There's an in-gathering, and I have scriptures here if you want to look them up. There's an admonition against sin. Because it has to do with a call to repentance. The restoration of Israel. The judgment of the nations. The walls of the enemies uh, comes down. Confusion breaks out in Satan's camp. The heavens open up like at Sinai. And angels are released at the sound of the shofar. David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem... And this is a side note for you guys that have been following our series now for a while. This will make sense to you. But every six steps, David had an animal killed and sacrificed. So bringing the ark, the glory of God into Jerusalem was a trail of blood. Y'all hear me tonight. It's always going to be by the blood that we're able to bring the glory of God in. And to come into that glory, it's going to be by the blood. So David understood that there had to be a trail of blood. And you know what's interesting too? At Tabernacles, the Temple of Solomon was dedicated at Tabernacles. And Solomon, had they had sacrificed so many animals. The Bible talks about, I mean, you should read how many. I don't remember, but you're dealing with thousands upon thousands of animals. That there was so much bloodshed that the Bible says that the glory of God came into that temple so strong that the priest could not even stand to minister because of the glory of the Lord that came in. But it was the blood that was applied that brought the glory. And it was interesting to me that Solomon dedicated that temple at tabernacles because the glory of God came into tabernacle into that temple Solomon built. And another thing that's awesome is Jubilee. So every 50th year on Yom Kippur, understand Yom Kippur has to do with repenting of your sin and getting things right, okay? At that time when people are really getting things right, the 50th year, the priest would blast the ram's horn and declare Jubilee. And everything that had been lost was restored back to you. But this, listen, this was at the blast of the shofar that jubilee broke out so there's something awesome powerful about the shofar now i'll give you just a couple more things i'm gonna close this out but actually this last part of the sermon was what i've really been wanting to get to about a burning heart about revival but you know there was a how many knows that god will turn the negative into the positive all things work together for the good well, I remember the story where Balaam was a, basically a false prophet. Uh, he, he had mixture. He had the ability somehow to hear from God and commune with God, but he also practiced the dark arts. So he was a weird dude, okay? How many knows he was weird? But anyway, Balak hired him to come in and to curse Israel. And so he comes in, and, and Balaam is willing to do this. He, he has seven different altars set up. He's sacrificing an animal to the demon gods of Moab. 
And he's going to stand up there. But, but yet, here's the mixture. Here he is sacrificing to demon gods and practicing witchcraft and sorcery. But yet, he's going to say this. I can only speak what God tells me to speak. You know, there's a mixture here, guys, okay? But he gets up there, and Balak hires him to curse Israel. And instead, he pronounces this phrase in Hebrew, Matovu Oheleka Yaakov, Mishkino Tek Israel. Which means, how beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling place, Israel. And to this day, when the Jewish people come to synagogue to church, they speak that matovu blessing, how beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling place is Israel. What, God intend, what Satan intended to curse Israel ended up turning into a blessing to this day. Isn't that interesting? But what Balaam saw when he looked out, he was on a hill... And he looked down upon, he saw the Oheleka, the Ohel, O-H-E-L, was the individual tents that they lived in. And also, he may have saw that some of the men had a tallit, a pershaw, and a tallit means little tent, that maybe they were praying. But also, he looked at the Mishkan, and he saw the tabernacle of God, called the Mishkan, he saw that tabernacle, and he said, how beautiful is your dwelling place, Israel. That was the dwelling place he saw, where God dwelled. Well, it's interesting to me here at Tabernacles that when God was settled over and had tabernacled his presence over Israel, that even somebody like Balaam and Balak was unable to really curse Israel, and even when he tried to curse Israel for money, it ended up coming out of his mouth a blessing, but it was the glory in the midst of Israel. He, Balaam even went so far to say, let my death be like theirs, that I'll die the death of the righteous like them. And, it, and Balak was getting, he was losing his temper. He was getting worked up. As he had given this guy money to curse him and he keeps blessing him. But when God's glory was there, there was a beauty over their dwelling. There was a beauty over their individual tent and there was a glory in the, in the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And Balaam had to acknowledge how beautiful your dwelling place is, Israel. He couldn't curse them. The glory of the Lord tabernacling in our midst will protect you from various attacks of witchcraft and satanic forces. So let me just close out with this tonight. Remember that trumpets has to do with waking up out of a slumber. Jesus repeatedly said, watch and pray. You don't know the day nor the hour. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Be ready. Be alert. Peter warns us, stay sober. There, there's all these scriptures about we need to be ready. We need to be alert. And watching and praying go together. And so there's like at trumpets, there's like an awakening from a slumber Yom Kippur, it's a time of repenting and getting right, tabernacling revival. But this, this is what I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to say to River of Life. God may come in and he will ignite your fire in your life for you. But it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to keep the fire going. And during these times, like these feast times, how many of you guys would say, and I don't want you just to agree with me just because I'm saying this. But I want you to really think about it. Over this last year, we've gone through these feast times. We've had times of prayer and fasting. We've gone through these illustrated sermons like this. We've deeply consecrated our lives. How many of you guys could honestly say for the Lord that you've learned so much out of the Word you didn't know before? How many would say that understanding the feast, understanding the Hebrew roots and all that, has been a tremendous blessing in your life. And number three, you would say that it has helped you draw closer to God. I would say that too. Because of what they represent. They're fulfilled in Christ, but what they represent is us going deeper in God. So what I felt the Lord saying to me to tell you is, don't let the fire go back out. That there's a religious spirit, and in this region, there's been like a stronghold of religious witchcraft. You're familiar with it. There's, there's been spirits that have to do with religion 
And the goal of these spiritual forces is to put the fire out. I can't tell you how much those beings hate places like River of Life. I'm not saying that to be funny. They hate it because it is a burning fire in their territory. They want that fire put out. Don't go back to sleep spiritually. God is touching you with his fire. He, he's waking you up. He's giving you like a fresh baptism in fire. He's helping you to repent of things you need to. He's setting your heart ablaze again. He's drawing you back into him again. Don't go back to sleep. There is an element in Christianity that we have to have some kind of discipline in our lives and die to the flesh. And quit hitting the snooze and get your lazy self up and go spend some time with Jesus. Now I'm preaching it to all of us. I'm preaching myself too. But there's got to be some discipline. And it's actually, I'm saying it in a comical way, but it's not funny. Because what happens is people lose their fire and they get lukewarm. And that's not a good place to be. Don't let the devil steal your fire and don't let him steal your fruitfulness. Let me ask you just a question tonight. I want you to think about it. Was there a time six months ago, a year ago, that after church tonight, you would have been out there witnessing, but you haven't been doing it lately? It's all right, I just kind of just walk through and just crunch on some toes. Let's just crunch on them right now. Is there some time, you'd say six months ago, that maybe your prayer life was in a better place than what it is right now? You feel like that you were closer to God a year ago than you are now. You were more active. Even maybe in your giving of your time and your finances, you were more of a giver a year ago than you are now. Well, the Bible says very clearly not to backslide. In Jeremiah, you, you read that scripture about backsliding. The thing is that people, if there was a time in your life that you were closer, you were more on fire, and you were, you were more fruitful than what you are now, you have backslid. And that's just the way it is. So I believe that God's saying to us tonight, and I embrace these type of sermons. I want God to show me. If I have backslid any, if I'm not where I was six months ago, I want the Lord to tell me. I don't want to keep walking like that, like a spiritual idiot, going along like nothing's wrong. I want the Lord to come in and just kind of slap me in the back of the head and say, hey man, you're not where you need to be, turn. And I believe the Lord is calling River of Life, don't, in these last days, don't go back to sleep. Right before Jesus went to the cross, the disciples kept falling asleep. And that was a key time in history. We're at, listen to me, we are at a key time in church history. End time prophecy is being fulfilled in our generation. The coming of Jesus Christ is near. We have prophecies that God is wanting to pour out his spirit on all flesh. He's wanting to bring in an end time harvest. And the Holy Spirit is trying to get a bride ready for the coming of the Lord. How many knows we need to be right in the middle of that? But people that fall asleep, you're not going to be in it. You're going to be sleeping while it's going on. So the Lord is calling us to wake up and repent. So let me give you a couple things and we're going to pray. How does the devil steal your fire? Obviously, unforgiveness is a big one and obviously unrepentant sin. Let me just encourage you that if you ever sin, repent immediately. I'm being serious. If you're out in public and you do something and the Holy Spirit convicts you, you excuse yourself to the restroom. And you go pray about it and get it right. Don't think, well, I'll pray about it later and then it ends up you don't even deal with it for a week or two. You know what happens to people that don't repent? Their hearts get hard. Pretty soon they can keep doing those sins and it doesn't even bother them. They don't even know, notice that they're doing it anymore. Be somebody that's quick to repent. And the last couple things I'd warn about is this. Satan is after the relationship. You know what's a threat to the devil? These, these uh, social clubs out there are not a threat motivational speeches from pulpits are not a threat 
man's programs where basically they take Alcoholics Anonymous, they put some scriptures in it, they slap on a new name, a Christianized name, they put in some Christianese in there, and uh, that's not a threat to the devil. And that's why you see so many people that don't really ever come out of it all that victorious. You have like maybe one in a hundred. Because they don't need programs, they need the power of God. None of that's a threat to the devil. You know what's a threat? Is somebody that has a relationship with the Lord and because of that, a fresh anointing. They're a threat. Satan knows that that fresh anointing is a threat and he knows that the, the reason why people have it is because of relationship. Satan wants to drive a wedge in the relationship that you have with God. He will try to cause all things to come up in your life to hinder that relationship. But even in your life where God has maybe answered prayers, things that you prayed that he would do for you, or maybe blessings that he's given to you, they were never intended to take you away from the relationship. If those things have been a wedge in your relationship, there's something wrong. And here's another thing, too, that I've seen enough. I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me just to mention this for everybody. I know there's a lot of people watching this, whether it's through Facebook or online, but I just felt this. Um, I've seen this enough now that I feel like it'd be good to talk about it. But see, an American culture is not a submissive culture. If you're going to have a home that's in order where the husband really is the headship and it's real and a wife is submitted for real, um, children honor and obey and things like that, you're going to go against the culture to do that. There are people that still are hanging on and living scripturally, but it's, it's not the majority. And our culture is definitely not conducive for that. Um, one of the things I've seen and just make sure you're careful with this. One of the spirits that traffic with Jezebel is Python, and it has to do with counterfeit revelation. As a pastor, I've had to deal with this, and I know even in homes you need to really pray about this, but it is the responsibility of the leader, that's the husband of the home, or the pastor of the church, it is the responsibility of the leader to discern if something is of God or not and to make a decision accordingly is there'll be people that will come and will say well I heard from God about this and we need to do this well maybe they did hear from God and maybe they didn't but it is the responsibility of the pastor of the church in a church setting to pray about it and make sure it's God because if it's not God and you go that direction you're going to get out of the will of God and take the whole church with you and if it is another spirit you're going to come into agreement with the wrong spirit. My wife and I have seen this enough that we need to talk about it. And even in a home setting where maybe the wife or maybe a child or somebody will come to the parent and say, well, I feel like I've heard about, heard about this or that from God. Okay, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But it is a responsibility to the husband. You better hear from God for yourself. Because if they are telling you they heard from God, and you take that as okay and you go and do it and it's not God, you just took your family out of the will of God. And if it's another spirit like Python that's speaking that, you're coming into agreement with the wrong spirit. You're listening to the wrong spirit. And see, a lot of times people will say, well, I heard from God, but they, they won't just leave it at that. They also want to pressure you about it. That's manipulation. As a pastor, I've had to deal with this a few times. People say, well, it needs to be this, that, and the other. And I say, well, I'll pray about it. And at the end of the day, the way that I live my life is like this. When I die, I'm going to stand before the Lord, and none of these people are going to be there. It's going to be me and him. And I'm going to give an account. And I even had to tell this to somebody. My wife was there because they were really pressuring me about something. I'm going to have to give an account, and I am not going to do something that I know is not God just to make somebody happy and I've had to take I've had to take a stand about that and there's been some people that got pretty ticked off at me but if, if it's not God it's not God 
I don't care how much they try to manipulate me and pressure me. I am not going to do it unless I've heard from God about it. And I'm telling you, husbands, as a head of a home, you better make sure that it's God. Because some people mean well, and they really believe they've heard from God, and they didn't. It's something else. It's either fear-based, it's pride-based, it's counterfeit, it's some other thing, and they mean well, but they're wrong. And you better hear from God, because if you come into agreement with that and you get out of the will of God, here's what will happen. Python will try to come around, and what does a python snake do in the natural? It will begin to squeeze the life out. Pretty soon, six months pass, a year pass, and your family's spiritually dead. Because something came in and began to squeeze the life out of that family. You're not in the center of God's will, and pretty much revival has died in your home. That's a good way that this whole thing, this Jezebel Ahab scenario, tries to come in is through revelation. And I've, I've, I've seen this enough to mention it. I've even seen it in a ministry one time that the woman would control the husband through her so-called revelation, which she was only right about half the time. But she would control him because she would say, well, this is what God says. So he felt obligated. Well, what I would say to him is this. Whether she says God said it or not, you better find out if it's God for yourself before you make a decision. Because you're coming into agreement with a python spirit if you don't. And your home is going to be out of order. In essence, she's using revelation to control you. She may not realize she's doing it. She may have good intentions and mean well, but that's what's going on. Through that so-called revelation, she is dictating what you're going to do and the, the course that family is going to take. And I've seen this enough now that I've, it's a concern. So these are ways that the devil can put the fire out in homes. Unforgiveness, unrepentant sin, where people are just lazy and they're not going after God like they should. And also by coming in agreement with things that are not God. Make sure that, that things are really truly the Lord and make sure that you move with the Lord in life. You want to be in the center of his will and you want to be moving with the Holy Spirit. The devil do everything he can to knock you off course. Keep your prayer life strong and stay close to Jesus. I remember when, when Steve Hill, I'll close with this, when he left Brownsville, he preached a sermon called Cry Wolf. And you can probably look this up. I haven't because I've got it on video, but you can probably look it up on YouTube or something. But he preached a sermon called Cry Wolf. I was physically there in the audience. Now, I remember the presence of God was awesome that night. But one of his points was that we have to stay on fire. We cannot lose the revival fire. And he said that wolves will try to creep in among God's people. But he said wolves are chased off by a burning fire. When the fire of God is burning bright, the wolves stay away. So keep the fire burning bright in your life and in your home. If you'll really go after God, I've given you the pattern. My wife told me we went to Cambridge and God really touched her there and changed her life. It was very powerful for her. And um, she told me as we left there, she really began to open up and how God was taking her deeper. And I've seen her go deeper in God. How many knows we need to be going from glory to glory? And I'm proud of her. That's her heart. But when we were coming back, she was telling me that God spoke to her and told her, Look to your husband for the pattern. So she went to me and she said, this is what God told me. And I said, well, here's what God taught me about the pattern. And I started talking to her about the tabernacle like I've taught you. I talked to her about a personal life of prayer and fasting and giving and consecrating your life. And I, I talked about the biblical patterns. And you've been going deeper in God ever since. And that's the thing. You guys, we all know what to do. Let's do it. You know, apply the blood in your home. Begin to be a person of prayer and worship and begin to take communion in your home and, and go deeper into things of God. Develop a prayer life. Make your home a place of worship and prayer. And if you do, the glory will come and the fire will burn and your heart will stay on fire. But if you, get, if you drift away from those things, you'll find yourself growing cold. 
So, Lord, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for the conviction. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the, the, the power of your word tonight. And, Lord, I pray that you would seal this in all of us. Do a work in us. If any area of our lives, or maybe we need to forgive, we need to confess and repent of sin. Maybe we've been lazy. We've been fleshly and carnal instead of dying to the flesh. Forgive us, Lord. Maybe things have, our homes really haven't been as in order as they need to be. Maybe there's been some things preached on tonight that hit home. And, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that. We repent. But I ask you, Lord, to wash us and change us. Let there be a clearing away of things that need to go and let things get right with you again. Because, see, if we're on the path that God has for us, that path is supposed to grow brighter and brighter till the dawn of that day. We're supposed to be growing from glory to glory to glory. If you're finding yourself being cold and it's difficult to pray and you've gotten off course, then you need to come back to the path that God has and say, Lord, show me where I missed it. Forgive me, change me, help me. But, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Let us be on fire and let us stay on fire until the coming of the Lord. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and shut down recordings tonight. We'll pray with people that want prayer.